essay two of idle hours in a library by william henry hudson this librivox recording is in the public domain essay two pepys and his diary part two but now we will descend from the dignity of history if these things belong to the dignity of history to the plane of common everyday life abandoning our quest for edification we will wander for a little while about the diary for no other purpose than that of deriving what amusement we may from its personal banalities and social tittle-tattle pepys tempts us to be as unsystematic and inconsequential as himself we will assume therefore the privilege which according to hazlitt coleridge so constantly abused in its conversational monologues that of beginning nowhere in particular and ending if we see fit in the same place it has been said that in pepys's ten years record there are more than five hundred references to dress and personal decoration i have not checked the statement but i can easily believe it this gives roughly speaking an average of one such notice to each week covered by the journal dress and the affairs of the toilette were indeed for pepys always matters of serious importance not to be disregarded in the midst of the greatest strain of public events we learn that at times mrs pepys's feminine desire for a new gown or some expensive bit of finery gave rise to domestic bickering and husbandly reproof and that the money laid out on tailoring and haberdashery occasionally caused an uneasy hour yet with all his thrift pepys seems to have had a remarkably free hand when questions of this kind stood in the way he reports without remorse the payment of twenty-four pounds for a single suit the best he adds that i ever wore in my life and later on notes the spending of eighty pounds for a necklace for his wife though in this case he has misgivings it is sad to relate that on the whole our diarist was much less concerned about his own personal extravagances than about the extravagances of his better half a fact which shows us that husbands like other conveniences of life have been improved by the course of civilization at any rate once noting to his great sorrow and alarm a month's outlay of seventy-seven pounds on dress and its accompaniments he adds that about twelve pounds of this had gone for his wife and the small remaining balance some fifty-five pounds for himself charity begins at home but economy like justice often starts next door pepys's marital parsimoniousness frequently manifests itself in very petty ways as when for example under date fourteenth february sixteen sixty six seven he writes i am also this year my wife's valentine and it will cost me five pounds but that i must have laid out if we had not been valentines once upon a time mr and mrs pepys went to the theatre together and there they saw mrs stuart very fine with her locks done up with puffs as my wife calls them and several other great ladies had their hair also though i do not like it but my wife do mightily but it is only because she sees it is the fashion this is all very well as a piece of superior masculine judgment but unfortunately our moralist betrays no such scruples when social opinion prescribes a new departure in his own accoutrement we notice with interest in the jottings of the journal the first appearance or early reappearance of several curious customs in dress 
patches were used by mrs pepys for the first time since we were married on thirtieth august sixteen sixty and on twelfth june sixteen sixty three after observing the growth of the practice then indulged in by ladies of wearing visards or masks at the theatre a practice we can understand better as we come to know more of the character of the performances given on the restoration stage mr pepys goes forthwith to the exchange to buy things with my wife among others a visard for herself on third november in this same year he reports the adoption by himself of a new mode of wearing a periwig in place of the natural hair it went a little to his heart we find to part with his own headgear however he was somewhat reassured when causing all his maids to look upon him he observed their satisfaction with the result though he notes intense self-consciousness and some embarrassment when the next day he went abroad for the first time in his new guise about the same period he begins to shave himself a performance which pleases him mightily as promising to save both time and money up betimes and shave myself so runs a later entry after a week's growth but lord how ugly i was yesterday and how fine to-day one is sorely tempted here to reproduce a few of the many passages in which the vain old chronicler gloats over his handsome clothing and the imposing figure cut by him at the theatre or on the promenade or in church but one or two must suffice as specimens july tenth sixteen sixty this day i put on my new silk suit the first that ever i wore in my life february three sixteen sixty one lord's day this day i first begun sick to go forth in my coat and sword as the manner now among gentlemen is april twenty two sixteen sixty one up early and made myself as fine as i could october nineteen sixteen sixty two lord's day put on my first new lace band and so neat it is that i am resolved my great expense shall be lace bands and it will set off anything else the more may seventeen sixteen sixty eight lord's day up and put on my new stuff suit with a shoulder belt according to the new fashion and the bands of my vest and tunique laced with silk lace of the colour of my suit and so very handsome to church alas poor peeps where be your lace bands now your shoulder belts your rich silk vests the prominence of dress in the diary may well surprise us but we are scarcely less astonished by the amount of space given by our busy man of affairs to the most various kinds of pleasure and simple merry-making amongst the games in which mr secretary pepys seems to have found special satisfaction tennis nine-pins and billiards hold high place but these after all never yielded him a tithe of the pure enjoyment that he derived from his more intellectual pastimes reading and music pepys was a genuine musician and we get the impression from the journal that his love of music reached the proportions of a great passion the only passion indeed of his life on the other hand he was not a systematic scholar though he devoured books with avidity keeping in touch with the literary output of his day and at least tasting all sorts of things from cicero the hebrew grammar and hooker's ecclesiastical polity downward to audley's way to be rich and the last published comedy of the popular playwrights of his time here are a couple of sample entries 
february tenth sixteen sixty one two to paul's churchyard and there i met with dr fuller's england's worthies the first time that ever i saw it and so i sat down reading in it being much troubled that though he had some discourse with me about my family and arms he says nothing at all nor mentions us either in cambridgeshire or norfolk but i believe indeed our family were never considerable july one sixteen sixty six walked to woolwich reading the rival ladies all the way and find it a most pleasant and fine writ play pepys's passing opinions have not much critical value but they are his own which is more than can be said of many literary dicta far more pretentious than his it is rather instructive to follow some of his fluctuations in taste we notice to take a single illustration only that when the first part of hudibras was issued he bought a copy for half a crown having heard it much cried up for its pungent wit but was so much disappointed when he came to dip into it that he sold it again the same afternoon for eighteen pence still every one talked of the poem and pepys began to wonder whether he had given it a fair trial so a few days later he purchased another copy resolved on closer study now i will venture to say that in this emergency poor pepys kept himself by no means free from the sham admiration and cuckoo criticism which is the bane of our drawing-rooms and for that matter of some of our college classrooms at the present day had you met him in social gatherings and had the talk turned on hudibras as it would almost certainly have done then doubtless you would have found that pepys fearful of appearing deficient in acumen or taste would have little or nothing to say about his adverse judgment and might even consent to laugh perfunctorily at jokes he really did not think funny and at doggerel rhymes which in his heart of hearts he held to be simply stupid meanwhile he confides to his diary the expression of his honest opinion promising himself that on the appearance of the second part of the poem he will borrow it from some friend and buy it only if on inspection it should turn out to be better than the first part all this is uh, surely edifying here we ought perhaps to add that in an ill-advised moment mr pepys undertook to learn to dance the truth is i think it a thing very useful for a gentleman and sometimes i may have occasion of using it and though it costs me what i am heartily sorry it should he deeply deplores the payment of ten shillings entrance fee to the class yet i am resolved to get it up some other way so though it be against my stomach yet i will try it for a little while the subsequent introduction of a dancing-master, whose name was Pemberton, turned out, however, to be the introduction of a serpent into Pepys's matrimonial paradise. Mrs. Pepys, crazy over the new accomplishment, insisted on his coming twice a day, which, as Mr. Pepys properly protested, was a folly. Moreover, he, by and by, grew jealous of his wife's attention to the said Pemberton, and some heartache, and much petulance were the result pepys gives us one graphic description of himself too angry to join his wife at her lesson yet walking up and down in his own chamber listening to hear whether they danced or no but he presently became an adept in the art and danced his own part infinitely to his satisfaction in many a coranto and jig 
for pepys as we have said was a highly convivial person and abandoned himself to the pleasure of the moment with an ardour and whole-heartedness which filled the grimly serious modern reader with something like amazement the thought of the morrow rarely for him disturbed the enjoyment of to-day though with the coming of the morrow he sometimes found that he had applied himself to the good things of this life not wisely but too well accounts of suppers of social festivities kept up until ever so much o'clock in the morning of mirth-making of the most boisterous kind abound in his pages mixed up with matters of more serious import in quite a bewildering way pepys will often round off some such detailed report with a characteristic comment expressive of deep satisfaction as for example mighty merry or so home mighty pleased with this day's sport carpe diem was evidently his counsel of perfection there is something charming about the man's juvenile capacity for enjoyment though we are frequently inclined to wonder how he managed in certain emergencies to keep his clear head and his steady hand yet only occasionally does the journal record any marked reaction from even the most roistering overnight carousal here however is just one case in point on fourteenth august sixteen sixty six in the midst be it noted of a good deal of mental disturbance caused by a misunderstanding between himself and lord peterborough pepys described at length an evening of wild frolic and buffoonery after dinner with his wife and wife's maid mercer who played a rather prominent part in subsequent domestic unpleasantness he takes a turn at the bear garden where there is much wine-drinking then we supped at home and very merry and then about nine o'clock to mrs mercer's gate where the fire and boys expected us and her son had provided abundance of servants and rockets and there mighty merry my lady pen and peg going thither with us and man right till about twelve at night flinging our fireworks and burning one another and the people over the way at last our business being most spent we went into mrs mercer's and there mighty merry smutting one another with candle grease and soot till most of us were like devils and that being done then we broke up and to my house and there i made them drink and upstairs we went and there fell into dancing w batelier dancing well and dressing him and i and one another mr bannister like women and mercer put on a suit of tom's like a boy and mighty mirth we had and mercer danced a jig and nan wright and my wife and peg pin put on periwigs thus we spent till three or four in the morning mighty merry and then parted and to bed do we wonder that the next day's entry should significantly open mighty sleepy slept till past eight of the clock as wine-bibbing and even downright drunkenness occupy so large a space in our record it may be proper to note indications contained in it of the rise of domestic forces destined to do much in a quiet way towards the gradual improvement of general manners in this particular respect from the point of view of social history there is much to interest us in pepys occasional references to tea coffee and chocolate these three beverages found their way into england within a few years of one another about the middle of the seventeenth century cocoa leading the way and tea bringing up the rear 
we have seen that on one occasion our diarist spoiled his bands by spilling chocolate upon them the coffee-house was an accomplished fact in this time there he often met distinguished men on business there he passed many a chatty hour there he once reports seeing dryden the poet and all the wits of the town for tea he never seems to have acquired special fondness i have marked but two references to it in the diary once on twenty eighth september sixteen sixty he notes i did send for a cup of tea a china drink of which i never had drank before and unfortunately for a wonder he does not tell us how he liked it and again on twenty eighth june sixteen sixty seven he chronicles returning home to find his wife making of tea a drink which mr pelling the potticary tells her is good for her cold tea by the way was enormously dear in those days and was supposed to possess astonishing and mysterious medicinal properties concerning which we may read much in a broadside issued by thomas garway the coffee man of change alley a rare and curious document a copy of which is still preserved in the british museum it does not of course surprise us to learn that this pleasure-loving man of the town was a regular attendant at all the public amusements of his time he visited the cockpit the bear garden the gambling-room the prize-ring though much to his credit he found little pleasure in these places of popular resort a fact which makes it harder for us to understand his frequent presence at public executions in witnessing which as many entries serve to prove he found a curious kind of satisfaction on the other hand his enthusiasm for anything connected with the theatre was simply unbounded his diary remaining to-day an important source of first-hand information on all matters pertaining to the drama of the restoration from his miscellaneous jottings we gain a wonderfully vivid impression of the manners and customs of the playhouse of the period together with a sense of life in things otherwise dead beyond recall for pepys saw the great betterton in all his glory and was bewitched by the beautiful and fascinating nell gwen when his record opens boys were still playing female parts as they had done in shakespeare's time and the introduction of women to the english stage is duly registered by him as an event he details after his manner all the odds and ends of scandal concerning prominent theatrical people was himself on very friendly terms somewhat too friendly at times for domestic peace with various pretty actresses and was an occasional visitor to that mysterious realm which lies behind the scenes once in a while however he acknowledges the disillusion caused by such excursions the extremely human proportions into which the heroes and heroines of that magic stage-land dwindled when seen at close quarters the dust noise confusion paint powder and general dinginess of the dressing-rooms and coulisses these are subjects of frequent remark perhaps his most disenchanting experience was one connected with nell gwyn pretty witty nelly as he fondly calls her we will not forget that the diary was written in cipher he finds her once behind the curtain alas that we should have to repeat it swearing like a trooper because of the smallness of the audience 
now a small house is a trial sufficient to tax the philosophy of any actress but we are sorry that pretty witty nelly should have behaved herself in this way pepys confesses that on this occasion he went home a sadder and a wiser man let us not imagine that pepys followed his career of pleasure without twinges of conscience and occasional remorse the expense involved frequently worried him and again and again he reproved himself for wasting valuable time it saddened him once in a while too to realize that he could not say no when temptation came in his way a very great fault of mine which i must amend in sometimes he argued the matter out to a logical issue as for instance when on ninth march sixteen sixty five he writes the truth is i do indulge myself a little more in pleasure knowing that this is the proper age of my life to do it and out of my observation that most men that do thrive in the world do forget to take pleasure during the time they are getting their estate but reserve that till they have got one and then it is too late for them to enjoy it this eminently philosophical generalization appears to have given him a good deal of relief still the qualms would come philosophy notwithstanding the thought of neglected business is like a death's head at the feast when he dines once with lady batten and madame williams and when on another memorable occasion he goes to the playhouse when he knows well enough that he should have been elsewhere he is so thoroughly ashamed of himself that he sneaks in and takes a back place only to be immediately singled out by an acquaintance who spies him out from afar and much to his mortification insists on sitting beside him incidents of this kind are numerous enough to show us that the way of the transgressor was sometimes hard pepys however managed upon occasion to get even with himself in these delicate matters by a very curious device he registered solemn vows as for instance not to drink wine for a specified period or not to go to the play till after a certain date inflicting various penalties upon himself for infraction these penalties habitually took financial forms payments to charities and the like and we note that in cases of infraction and these were sufficiently frequent pepys was more deeply concerned about the spent money than about the broken vow moreover it has to be acknowledged that some fine casuistry is now and then shown by him in the way in which he manages to elude the sense of an obligation while technically fulfilling its letter under pledge not to touch wine he consumes hippocross a mixture of red and white wine with sugar and spices and comforts himself with the extraordinary theory that this is to the best of my personal judgment only a mixed compound drink and not any wine equally dubious are some of his theatrical doings once he congratulates himself that he has kept his vow because he arrives at the playhouse too late to make it worth his while to go in a really magnificent confusion of intention with result once again he allows an acquaintance to pay for him and exonerates himself on the ground that he was taken to the performance and did not so to speak take himself did not in other words go as a free agent and of his own impulse and will 
and on yet another occasion such is his subtlety he gets mr creed to treat him in this way actually lending the said mr creed the money necessary for the purpose this however he felt to be going rather too far even for an ethical theorist in reporting the incident he adds that this is a fallacy that i have found now once to avoid my vow with but never to be more practised i swear i said that in this part of my lecture i should make no attempt to maintain logical consistency this must be my excuse for leading you by an abrupt transition from the stage to the pulpit pepys occasionally stayed at home on sundays to work up his accounts or look over his papers and once but he was sick that day to read plays but he was on the whole a faithful church-goer and as we have had occasion to observe made special use of the lord's day for a display of his new clothes and finery a practice which to modern readers must needs seem both strange and reprehensible his notes of discourses heard by him are sometimes extremely interesting while his criticisms and he was evidently by no means easy to satisfy in the matter of sermons are often as pungent and incisive as they are quaint and characteristic a lazy poor sermon he writes after hearing dr fuller once he reports an unnecessary sermon upon original sin neither understood by the preacher himself nor the people and another time he hears a young man play the fool upon the doctrine of purgatory considerable space is given in his jottings to a certain poor young scotchman who had a perfect genius for preaching most tediously and who becomes for pepys a sort of type and standard of dullness and nebulosity poor little scott thus to be pilloried to the end of time pepys had however let us put it euphemistically a wonderful power of withdrawing into himself when the exercises of the pulpit became unusually trying when to adapt the phrase of madame de sevigne a preacher abused the privilege preachers have of being long-winded and tiresome over and over again he chronicles sleeping soundly through a sermon and waking refreshed if not edified at the close after dinner to church again where the young scot preaching i slept all the while so up and to church where mr mills preached but i know not how i slept most of the sermon so to church and slept all the sermon the scot to whose voice i am not to be reconciled one would suppose that he had become pretty well reconciled to it judging by its soporific influences preaching i pick these at random as specimen entries there were seasons however when the sermon being bad and himself unable to achieve the benign relief of slumber pepys confesses to killing time in less innocent ways susceptible to an extreme degree to feminine charms and graces he often passed the hour of exhortation in looking out for pretty women and in studying carefully their various styles of beauty and of dress here are a few instances to the point to church where god forgive me i spent most of my time in looking on my new marina brunette at the other side of the church so runs one of his confidences and again after dinner i by water alone to westminster to the parish church 
and there did entertain myself with my perspective-glass up and down the church by which i had the great pleasure of seeing and gazing at a great many very fine women and what with that and sleeping i passed away the time till the sermon was done he even reports that once at st dunstan's in the midst too of an able sermon he found himself beside a pretty modest maid whom i did labour to take by the hand but she would not but got further and further from me and at last i could perceive her to take pins out of her pocket to prick me if i should touch her again which seeing i did forbear and was glad i did spy her design and then i fell to gaze upon another pretty maid in a pew close to me and she on me and i did go about to take her by the hand which she suffered a little and then withdrew so the sermon ended and the church broke up and my amours ended also this time by a transition strictly logical we are led to speak for a moment about the most intimate side of pepys's domestic existence his relations with his wife the subject is a difficult and delicate one it is moreover too complicated to be dealt with in any detail here a few general words must suffice their marriage had been one of love and it can hardly be called on the whole an unfortunate one in spite of many unhappy episodes and a good deal of misunderstanding for even in the white glare of the diary where every fleck shows their home life often comes out in a very pleasant light still there were unquestionably even from the very beginning little rifts within the lute and these rifts widen terribly we notice as the journal runs its course to the outside world very probably such rifts were not often apparent but we are privileged to see matters close at hand and from the inside and this undercurrent of tragedy beneath the broad stream of prosperity and success becomes at times painfully manifest as we read i suppose it can hardly be said that in the case of mr and mrs pepys's various matrimonial difficulties the entire blame rested on either pair of shoulders mrs pepys was extremely pretty and attractive and her husband admired her thoroughly and was after his own rather singular fashion devotedly attached to her yet she was evidently whimsical somewhat capricious apt to get into what pepys calls fusty humours and at times exceedingly trying to the nerves many a little crisis not serious perhaps but distinctly unpleasant seems to have been brought about by a word unnecessarily spoken a look or a phrase interpreted amiss but after all we fear that the main burden of responsibility rested with pepys himself why would he undertake to teach the poor young woman astronomy and arithmetic when admittedly she had neither taste nor talent for such subjects why was he so much upset on finding that her ear for music was not nearly as good as he thought it should have been why did he cut her short so peremptorily on one most unfortunate occasion when she was telling that long-winded story of hers from the grand cyrus why was he petulant with her at another time for no better reason as he himself confesses than that he was hungry and she had dressed herself as she not infrequently did in a manner that displeased him 
why finally when she was berating him rather roundly about her deficient wardrobe did he fall to reading boyle's hydrostatics aloud and let her talk till she was tired and vexed that i would not hear her it is surely to say the least of it far from tactful in a husband to declaim from a treatise on hydrostatics when his wife is determined to discuss more serious matters these may be trifles but such trifles are important things when viewed from the standpoint of domestic peace but all this touches merely the fringe of the problem the really serious troubles were generally if not always caused by poor mr pepys's fatal oversensibility that characteristic weakness of his to which he himself from time to time became only too keenly alive the simple fact of the matter is that our diarist had a fondness for the society of pretty women that his wife naturally enough grew jealous and that all sorts of unpleasantness deepening sometimes into genuine domestic tragedy was the inevitable result i have not time now to go into the ins and outs of what is really a very long story to follow the rapid fluctuations of feeling or mark out the converging lines of approach to the unavoidable catastrophe but i cannot resist the temptation of recounting one curious episode that of a neat joke once played by mrs pepys on her susceptible better half pepys early in the period of the diary had fallen in with his wife's desire to have a girl to live with them a kind of companion and lady's maid he did not like the expense incurred but as long as the young lady was sufficiently well favoured to be a pleasant object to look on he saw but little other cause for complaint though cause for complaint and good cause too mrs pepys was presently to find well on one occasion his wife told him she had engaged a new maid a girl so pretty and winsome she went on to say that positively she was already jealous mr pepys was a little uneasy about all this however he concluded that she meant it merrily and awaited with a good deal of ill-repressed excitement the coming of the domestic beauty in due season heave arrived and judge his astonishment and disgust when he found as he plaintively reports that she was not pretty at all but a very ordinary wench for once at all events the laugh was on mrs pepys side towards the latter part of the diary the conjugal misunderstandings pass into a very acute stage and for a time a break-up of the pepys establishment seems imminent but we are glad to be able to record that the crisis was a comparatively brief one mr pepys sorrow-smitten and full of remorse over his recent ill-doings undertakes to mend his ways and sets manfully though with some misgivings and much difficulty about the task of so doing and thus the curtain falls upon what promises to be a complete reconciliation and we close the diary with the hope that the new peace lasted for the few brief years that were destined to elapse before the life of poor elizabeth pepys was brought to its untimely end there is one odd commentary on matrimony which i must needs add for its characteristic strain pepys going to church one day happens by accident to witness a wedding and is much interested in what thackeray described as the happy couple as the saying is in chronicling this incident he makes the following extraordinary remark 
strange to see what delight we married people have to see these poor fools decoyed into our condition every man and woman gazing and smiling upon them there is much still on the purely personal side of the diary about which i should well have liked to speak and in particular i had hoped to dwell for a little on pepys's notice of the great plague which are much more interesting as well as accurate than defoe's well-known romancing book and on his graphic account of the fire of london which forms an admirable commentary on the second half of dryden's famous if somewhat unmanageable poem anus mirabilis but these matters and many other such cannot now be even touched upon meanwhile in bringing these rambling memoranda to a close i do not feel inclined to apologize for what may seem the frivolous character of my material the unique charm of pepys's diary as i said at the outset lies very largely in the frankness the naivete the unsophisticated directness of its record it is as i insisted really and truly what other chronicles of the kind have been simply in name a journal intime something of this frankness this naivete it has been my aim to illustrate and to show you at the same time how quaint and startling are some of the results and let me ask you not to judge too harshly of the man into whose existence we have thus ventured to pry remember that we have been privileged in his case to push aside the curtain which men habitually keep carefully drawn across the penetralia of their lives that we have caught him often enough at unfair advantage and in a light fiercer than that which tennyson says beat upon a throne blackening each blot at any rate i for my own part see no reason why as we lay his diary aside we should indulge in platitudes of criticism still less why we should console ourselves with the flattering thought of moral superiority pepys was not a great man it is true he was often weak often foolish the temptations of the world again and again proved too much for him at many important points his theory and practice of life were alike unsound and it might be well perhaps before we undertake to throw stones at his glass house to look a little carefully into the vitreous mansion in which we ourselves dwell and if you and i were forced to lay bare as he has done for himself the secret thoughts and feelings the passing fancies the unspoken desires the foibles and failures of our everyday existence i wonder how many of us would see reason to be proud of the revelation so made o oh, my brothers let us be humble and charitable humility and charity are excellent things humility and charity i confess i find constantly forced upon me whenever i dip for an hour's genuine amusement into the diary of old samuel pepys end of essay two part two